Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the In The Oven Show. Today, we are welcomed by the CEO for Tundra Process Solutions in Calgary. He started a business at 12 years old, would you believe? Went to business school, worked in finance, ran an industrial process company, and has grown Tundra from 14 to 140 people over his years leading it. He's apparently one of Canada's top 40 under 40. I would like to welcome Iggy Domagalski. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Much appreciated. No, it's all good. How are things? They're good. They're still a little weird. We're still in COVID a little bit, but uh, but things are, they feel like they're getting better and business over the last few months really feels like it's starting to get some steam again and people are starting to do things again. Before we dive into some more of the specific business stuff, I'd like to really get to know a bit about Iggy. So like, what, what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time? In my spare time, uh, I'm a husband and a dad, so I've been with the same gal for 19 years, and I've got twin daughters, and they're 11 years old, so they take up a lot of my time, and they still like me, which is, <laughs> which is really great, so I am soaking up all of that. We've got a little puppy that we got throughout the pandemic, so she's very socially awkward, but very cute. She takes up a lot of our time, and uh, personally, I, I like fitness, so running, gym, yoga, those kind of things, and, and, uh, and a lot of mindfulness and professional development. Those are, those are things that I enjoy. Uh, i got a few guitars kicking around the house, so I like to play those, and uh, unfortunately for the people around me, sometimes I like to sing as well, so, that, uh, <laughs> so I like doing that. I'm just not very good at it, and when things are not weird like they are now, we love entertaining, so uh, we're usually our house is kind of like the community center for all of our family and friends. You know, in first memories of business, like I know you started a business young, apparently from like 12 or something, but like what, where did it all spark from? Yeah, I, I think it started from my parents. Uh, so uh, I, I'm an immigrant to this country just from a, but a very young age. So when I was three, we moved to Canada from Poland and uh, my parents, they were both professional engineers, but when you're a new immigrant from Poland in the 80s, nobody cares about your Polish credentials, which is which is unfortunately what still many immigrants face today. Uh, so they, you know, they tried their hand at a few jobs, but they ended up starting businesses. And so the entrepreneurship idea and the conversations around the dinner table kind of revolved around that. And uh, that's that's where I, I think I first got a taste for it. And and I just from being a little kid, when I was a really little kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, of course, like every kid. But after that, I. I thought that business would be something that I could be pretty decent at and something that I saw my parents doing and they seemed to like. So, uh, so that's the path that I ended up taking. So what were the early kind of memories of being in that mindset? What, were you at school like saying, I've got to go start a business as soon as I can? Or was it like, I've got to learn my stuff before I do that? What was it like early days? I think in the early days, it was a little bit of both. So when I was 12, I mean, it, it, I did start a business, but it was a like a tiny, tiny little thing. But still, I mean, I was twelve. Yeah. <laughs> and so this uh, this obviously dates me and anyone who's going back to age twelve. So computers were a thing. There were, there was computers, and I and I had a we had, we had a decent one. And uh, and I started something called a BBS, a bulletin board service. And so that was uh, where somebody who had a dial-up modem could dial up into your modem, and they could connect, and then they could see what was on your computer screen. Uh, so that was cool. So people would come in and chat. And I mean, that's all you could really do in those days was chat with people on the keyboard. Uh, but I also bought this, uh, a, a CD that had a bunch of shareware on it. And the shareware, you were, you were allowed to sell it. 
And, uh, and so when people would dial in, they could see the, a list of software that I had available for sale and they could buy it, except there was no PayPal or anything like that. So they actually had to mail me a check for $25. <laughs> so people would log in, they'd see this, they'd see my address, they would mail me a check for $25 and then I would give them this little code so that they could log in and download this software that I had bought. So that was, that was my first little foray into business. And, and I like doing that, but at the same time, uh, I knew that I wanted to go to business school and actually learn what the heck I was doing because selling a $25 piece of software uh, to a single user at a time on a, on, on a home computer was a lot different than actually knowing what the heck I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you want to become a CEO? Was that an early thing for you? or I, I don't think that, that that title was ever really important. Um, but I think I knew that I wanted to... Uh, be in a leadership role and and you know add value and do some fun things and and be in a company that that I really enjoyed being at, and I, th- I think being in a leadership position in that company allows you to craft that a little bit. So if you're if you're able to make some decisions about the culture and about the way that you do business, you can kind of just make it the way that you want it, which will make it more enjoyable for you and and hopefully for the people around you. So yeah, the title was never really important, but I but I did know that I that I was interested in uh, you know in running companies in in one way or another. And was that the people aspect, or like was it just being the head guy that you had such a vision that you wanted to surround your people in that mindset? Uh, it was no, it was it was never to be to be the, the the top guy. It was I think it was to create something meaningful, and uh, that's just. That's harder to do from the middle of an organization. Uh, it's it's just a lot easier to do when, when that is your responsibility. When determining the culture and the strategy and the roadmap for your company, when that's your job, it's a lot easier to do it. It's it's tougher to do it as a, as a mid-level manager. Then you you can do it within your own group, but then you often still have you know pressure from up top to do things a certain way that might not necessarily line up with the way that you want to do it. So did school help with the challenges that you've had in that position? I think so. Uh, I, I got a, a Bachelor of Commerce degree from the University of Manitoba. And I mean, those were, those were great years. I think anyone that's ever been to university like, yeah. knows that those are, you know, some of the most fun years too. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't just all schoolwork. It was a lot of uh, socializing and fun things. And those, those parts I thought were equally as important, right? Like learning how to, the, the group projects and how to get things done under tight timelines and, uh-oh, we missed tonight's study session because we were at the bar. <laughs> and then figuring out how to, how, how to catch up and do that as a team and competing priorities when some people, had, some, some people already had families that they were dealing with, some people cared about their fitness more, some people cared about going out more, some people were really into school, some people weren't. And figuring out those group dynamics, that was, you know, it was... It was, it was frustrating at the time when I was going through it because, you know, I, I wanted to get the, the school done and I wanted to get good marks and I, that was important. And I just, I had this, this imaginary vision that when I finally got out there into the working world, that these would not be problems anymore. I mean, people are paid to be there. So, of course, everyone is showing up at 100% every day. Yeah. And it just didn't occur to me that that, that might not actually be the case. <laughs> but it... But it definitely, uh, it definitely prepared me for uh, just, just, just for those competing priorities and that not everybody shows up at 100% every day. I don't show up at 100% every day. Um, and, and, and helping me to understand you know, why people might not be showing up and what I can do to help them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about that kind of socialization aspect of uni. And 
how tough it must be now where people aren't physically at university. Whereas I agree with you that that was such an integral part of life and what you learned at university. So it's interesting you say that that was one of the key things you took away to, to take you where you are now. Like what advice would you give to someone that was trying to get in that mindset and in that position to lead a company or be in a leading role? Yeah, that's, that's a really tricky question in, in today's environment, right? Like there's, there's a lot of business skills that I would say are very technical, you know, accounting and finance. Even, even many of the human resources and marketing skills are really, really technical. You don't need other people to do them. You just need to know how to do it and you can crush the work on your own from your house. Uh, but most of the important stuff in business, that, that's, the, that's the being across from somebody and, and talking to them and addressing a team and making sure the team is working properly and figuring out what people's issues are and, and getting the work done or not getting the work done. And I really think the only way you can do that is, is in person. So I, there's, you know, there, there's a lot being written about how a lot of the, the school world will be virtual going forward, but I still think a lot won't. People will go back to the bricks and mortar of universities and they will go learn side by side with other people and figure out how to work in teams. That's, that's what running a business is. It's, it's how, do you, how do you run a team? Yeah, that's the way the world works. I mean, it's fine for some of the more office-based systems to mm -hmm. a point, but like when you're talking manufacturing, design, actually solving problems, yeah, getting together and banging heads and actually getting down to oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, is the way you do it. We we have conversations about productive versus effective, mm -hmm. and so, so throughout the whole last year, you know, a lot of people have been saying, "Boy, I'm I'm more productive than ever." And and I and I completely believe it. I mean, there's there's a lot of distractions around this office, right? There there's, I know we have some people here who just put on their headphones and they prefer to block out the world, and that's the way that they operate, and they only take them out if they absolutely need to. But there's other people that spend a good chunk of their day walking around and talking to people and creating interactions, and um, yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting world going forward. Was the interaction? Kind side of things, inside of business, was that easy for you to start with, or did you have to work on, like, with people and being able to judge people, gauge people, you know, like, figure how they fit in? Kind of figuring people out. I, at least for me, that that was not a God-given talent. <laughs> <laughs> so I, there, there are some people out there who are just masters at figuring out other people, and they can see someone and know exactly all these things about them, but I, I was never one of those people. It, it took work to, to figure out, and some, some of it's just studying people, and I mean, not book studying, but just, you know, just observing, and, and then other times it's just experience. I mean, there's only so many types of problems that your people will have when they, when they come to you. You know, they're, they're overworked or, they, or they're not motivated enough or they feel like they have no purpose or they're having a bunch of family things going on. And those problems generally are finite, uh, you know, if you, if you lump them into those kind of categories. And eventually you've just kind of seen most of them. <laughs> and then, you know, oh, you are having problems at home. Oh, you are not motivated because you don't believe in what you're doing and you are lacking challenge and you need to move to the next level. So if there's they eventually fall into those kind of buckets. That's really interesting to hear you say that because that's the, surely the hardest thing to do as you get into that role. For sure. And you were leading a process company before you joined or came to Tundra. Yeah. Like, how was that process? Was it similar coming from one company to the other? And what was that transition like? 
the company that I was at previous to this was one of our sister companies, and it was a lot smaller, so there was a lot fewer people, and, and I really, really knew everyone, so it was, it was easier. Uh, and here, there's just uh, there's more people, but essentially the problems are, all the, all the people problems are always the same. And it, it boils down to they're having some problems somewhere, not challenged. And usually the biggest problem is that communication has broken down somewhere between two, two or three people, and that needs to be addressed. So talking of that, how would you typically go about figuring that out? Uh, yeah, figuring out the people problems is a tricky one because people tend to get their back up when you, <laughs> when you start talking about the problems that they're having. Uh, but I, I, I think I've always tried to put myself into their shoes and figure out, like, what is going on? What is going on inside their head and in their life that, that these are the, the you know, kind of the negative outputs that are happening? And, uh, and really coming at it from a place of, I think, compassion and caring. And we, we've got 145 people here and they're all amazing individuals, and I had the pleasure of hiring a, a ton of them. And I really care about them, and I want them to be successful. And so when there's something bad that's going on, I know, I know they're not a bad person, right? Like, we've, we screen them, and they're awesome, and they're really great, and they're great at what they do. There is just something going on. And so if I, usually, I usually find if I come at it from that angle is, a, is, hey, I'm here to help you. Something's going on. Let's talk about it so that we can fix it. Uh, because I want you to be really successful, and I'm I'm helping you because I care about you. That tends to take some of the uh, some of the guard down. That must be hard trying to be connected to all those people, though. Like, how do you manage that? Well, you, you can't be. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's. A, I think there's most studies will say. I mean, you can only really have one or two hundred relationships everywhere, right? Family, friends, and and work. So. If, I, if we got 145 here, I can't have a really great tight relationship with everybody. Uh, but <clears throat> I think if, 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 if our managers and our leaders know how to do that too, then, then, then they can do that. But you know, the, there, there's probably about 20 or 30 people that I, that I would really, really help with those kind of things at the company. And then hopefully they're doing the same thing to their teams. Yeah, so it's creating this kind of integral culture. Yeah. And how do you, do you find culture is really important running a business? Like setting the standard and making it very clear. I, I believe that culture is really important. Not every, not every leader is like that. And there's, there's a lot of leaders who don't spend any time on culture and have really, really successful companies. So, so it's not, it's not uh, the way to do it. It's, it's a way to do it. And it's the way that I like doing it. Uh, I, just, I, I think you spend about half of your waking life at work. And... That's a lot of time you know, <laughs> for a lot of years. Yep. So you probably spend 40 years, half of your waking life at work. And I want that time for me to be awesome time and really enjoyable time um, and time that, that I like and, and where I'm proud to be and happy to be. And so I, we really spend a lot of time on culture and making sure that the workplace is a that it's challenging, you know, that it's rewarding, and, and that there is some fun too. And so we do... Uh, a lot of culture things and maybe maybe spend too much time on it but uh, but I, but I think it shows that I think our people really appreciate it because because it is a uh, even during these the these weird covid times we've managed to I think hold on to some really great elements of our culture so you've grown from small numbers to quite big numbers for mm-hmm. what you do so tips tricks what what happened you know what was good what was bad yeah. like 
Well, growing a company is really fun, but but we it, it hasn't always been just straight up. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been ups, there's been downs, and we we live in Alberta, and it's uh, even if you're even if your business is not directly connected to oil and gas, and ours is, uh, you, you st- you'll still see up and downs. And I always tell people, I'm like, if, if you're not okay with this, like, the, don't work in Calgary, don't work in Alberta, don't work in oil and gas. Like, if you if you want steady, uh, go to my hometown of Winnipeg. There's it's it's very steady there. It grows one and a half percent every year forever, <laughs> and uh, and it's and it's just a much more steady environment, which yep. is great for a lot of people. Uh, so it has been some ups and downs, and there's been really fast growth times, and then there's been other layoff times, which are which are less fun. Uh, but I mean, general advice around growth is, I think you have to have a, a bit of a vision to know where you're going, and uh, and have a team that buys into that, and and that's really helped us is having having longer term vision, longer term targets, so that you kind of you know where you're going, but then at the same time breaking those down into okay, well, what am I doing this quarter, and what am I doing this month, to uh, to get there, and it's and there's there's been certain times where we've grown faster, but there's never been really massive home runs that that have that have happened. It's just it's been Little wins all along the way. It's just been a whole bunch of singles and doubles for 20 years. So you talked about oil and gas market kind of driving yeah. business. How do you ride that out? How do you plan effectively? And I'm not asking you to give away your secrets here, but like generally, how's it been? Uh, oil and gas is a it's a challenging market, and and from the outside looking in, it can seem like the good times are just wonderful and they can be but they're also really challenging uh in when when times are really booming finding talent is nearly impossible and uh and just there's just a a whole different kind of pressure uh really really fast growth can be really really challenging in a company just just keeping the the train on the rails is is hard and as you grow fast uh, all of your systems break there's lots of problems you don't have the right policies and procedures in place tons of hr problems uh, so, so there's there's problems in the growth times, and then in the in the down times, those are those are even worse problems. Right? That's that's a that's laying people off and telling them that you know that they're gonna have a hard time feeding their family and those kind of things. So there's there, there's challenges both in the in the fast growth and then in the often sudden deceleration. Uh, but overall, but overall, uh, I really like the industry. I I like oil and gas. I mean, it's a it's a primary industry in Canada. Without oil and gas in Canada, this country is in a lot of trouble, and uh, and so I think the work that we do is really important. I think I think the Canadian oil and gas industry is by far the most responsible in the world, and uh, doesn't matter what happens today. Tomorrow, ninety million barrels of oil will be used, and the day after, the same amount. The day after, the same amount, and. I think if somebody went up to a gas pump and instead of you know regular and premium and it was Canada and Saudi, you know I, I think I know which one people would choose. And so I so so I like the industry and I think everyone here likes the industry. But at the at the same time, you know there's I don't think there's any doubt that over time oil will be needed less. That, in my lifetime, oil and gas will still be. I think in my kids' lifetime, oil and gas will still be a very significant thing. But it's. But I don't really see it growing too much anymore. At least not in Canada. And so to to, to deal with that, I think you need to diversify a little bit. Uh, we we're trying to take 
some of, and, and successfully doing it, taking some of our oil and gas products and selling them to other industries, which, which has been going well. Um, and then recently we actually sold Tundra to uh, a company called Wayjax, which is actually one of Canada's uh, oldest companies. They're over 160 years old. And uh, they're very diversified uh, across industries and across the country. And that's allowing uh, Tundra to better take its products and uh, sell them to Wayjax customers where the relationship already exists. I mean, for, for our Tundra people to go and sell our products to other industries, we first have to make those relationships in those new industries, which takes time. Whereas with this Wayjax transaction, immediately overnight, we have access to all of their customers in every industry across the country, which is one of the reasons why we did it, because it was just such a perfect fit. So how did that come about, the merge, well, acquisition? Did, did they approach you? Was it kind of you put yourself on the market? Like, did it happen organically? Like, Yeah, it was. It, it's actually funny. A, a contact of mine from university ended up calling me and uh, and. He, he just saw that I was at Tundra and said, hey, would you be interested in a transaction? Uh, it was COVID, and uh, I called our chairman, who's our majority owner at the time, and said, hey, what do you think of this? I know it's a weird time, but I think it's worth a chat. And so we all got on the phone, and, and it, initially, I didn't see a fit. And it's just because I didn't know enough about Wayjax. But I think when folks uh, think about Wayjax, they think about forklifts, and they think about dump trucks and excavators and... Yeah, construction equipment, and that's not at all what we do. Uh, and and they do that, but then they also have this other very large business that does you know industrial parts and industrial services, and and it was like a perfect complementary match, and it was like one of those deals like I've never seen before where every puzzle piece just matches perfectly. And so we thought, okay, well, if we're talking about us going into that part of the business, that really really makes sense. And uh, and then yeah, so we started into due diligence, which was uh, a lot of hard work, which, which I think made sense. I mean, the entire deal was done over Zoom, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I, I've never done that before. And, and a lot of people I don't think had done that nope. before. There was, no, there was no dinner to get to know anyone or maybe having a glass of wine together. There was no handshaking even. So, uh, so in order to you know, overcome that, I think you know, a few more lawyers and accountants get involved just to make sure that everything is the way that we yep. said it was going to be. And... And and of course it was because the deal got done, and uh, and now that it's done, it's you know it's been really great. So we have a a new owner who has said that we they really want to keep us as we are and keep our brand and you know help where they can and that's exactly what they're doing. So they're helping us be more successful, and now we're part of their story, and it's uh, yeah it's it's been a, a really positive move I think for our company and it it, it puts us into a, a really great permanent home forever. I mean, Wayjax is a company that acquires, they don't, they don't buy companies and then spin them off like private equity. So this, and they're 160 some years old. So we found a pretty cool permanent home for our team. I mean, acquisition's kind of the hot trend, isn't it, in recent years? Do you think that's, because I know Tundra have done that a bit, has that helped you grow and now being acquired? Do you think that's now just becoming a good part of business strategy? I think acquisitions are important. Uh, we we Tundra did a bunch along the way, and but but I think there's two kinds of acquisitions, right? Like there's the there's the kind of acquisitions that Tundra and Wayjax have done, which is hey, we see a we see a good company that's doing well, and we want to buy them, bring them into our fold. Maybe we can learn something from them. We can also teach them a few things, and together we can grow. Yep. And that's those are the kind of acquisitions that I like personally because they're they're a lot more fun and accretive and. Uh, and enjoyable, and then and then 
there has been a lot of acquisitions, especially in the oil and gas market, and they're a little bit different, where there's maybe a weak player or two companies coming together and saying, we're coming together, we're eliminating 2,000 jobs. And those are a little bit more challenging, although probably very necessary. Uh, those, are, those are not the kind that, that we've ever been a part of and, and likely won't be a part of those kind. Like acquisition can kind of help you grow your customer base, but how have you found it best to grow your sales, not only in number and revenue, but say geographic spread of clients? What kind of things have you done to, to help that move forward? Growing sales is a, it's a real tricky one. Uh, some, some of the, the really good things that I think we did over the last few years uh, was changing compensation related to sales. Uh, salespeople, many of them are really motivated by money. And, uh, and so making sure that the proper compensation drivers are in place is important. And there was a time when our company had a bunch of lone wolf uh, salesmen. And, and, that, and that's the way that they operated. You only needed one salesperson, one sales professional to go and, and win an account and sell them equipment. Uh, but the, the way our company evolved is we really needed more uh, than one person on an account. So if we were selling to an oil company, we need somebody covering the head office in Calgary. And then you need someone covering the site. And then there's an engineering company involved, so you need another person covering that. And then there might be a fabricator involved, so you need somebody covering them. So, so we created these capture teams to go, uh, to go attack the business. And essentially, instead of hunting as a lone wolf, to go hunt as a pack. And, and in order to do that, we had to change the compensation system to, uh, to really be more of a, a team-based reward system. And so we did that three years ago. Uh, it proved to really increase teamwork, and, and it was working really well. So, <clears throat> so that was put in for uh, about 20% of our company, which is our sales team, and it worked so well that we implemented it to 100% of our company. And now so everyone in the company is on that aligned program uh, so that when you know when one person or one team brings in a big deal, everybody wins, and uh, and that's that, that was a really big fundamental change that we made that I think really really helped uh, grow our, our revenues and and help us win as a team as opposed to win as a bunch of individuals, and uh, and then also uh, our growth strategy it's by no means rocket science, and, and we're happy to share it. it. It's been to add more world-class products and then to add more geography so that we can be closer to our customers where the decisions are made. Um, in, in the industries that we serve, many of those decisions are just made at head office, but a lot of those decisions are made in the field by the local operator person. And uh, so, so we've opened up a few offices. So we opened up one in Grand Prairie, and we put a couple people in Vancouver and someone in Red Deer, and... Uh, and then we had plans to uh, keep doing that. So we wanted to open one to two offices a year for the next 10 years and have, uh, you know, have, have a really, really big Western Canadian presence. So, you know, so when you look at a map, it would just be a whole bunch of tundra dots. Uh, and then we did this transaction with Wayjax, and they have 114 branches across the country. So that'll do it. <laughs> uh, so we don't really have to do that anymore. They kind of did it, so we can imp implant some of our people into those locations. And that was one of the big drivers to do this transaction. Is our whole plan was let's get more world-class products and open up more offices. And Wayjax has a whole bunch of world-class products that we can now sell. They can also sell our products, and uh, and it gives us that geographic um, reach immediately. So. Um, that was that was a big driver for it, and that's if if the transaction wouldn't have happened, we would have kept along that path, opening one to two a year, and continuing to do that 
but it did. So we'll go with this. <laughs> yeah, no, it works. It works. I really like that compensation team thing. I, mm -hmm. I feel that's quite innovative and quite forward thinking. Like just having that, it just creates that sense of team and everyone's working towards the same goal. Do you find that is the case? Yeah, the, the working toward the same thing is very powerful. And it was, uh, I wish I could take credit for it, but it's, uh, it certainly was not my idea. Uh, most things around here I've copied from somebody else. Yeah. And, and this particular one uh, was driven by our chief operating officer. Uh, and uh, he had implemented it at a different company. And he helped that company grow uh, massively, like from, from 50 million to 600 million and, uh, over the course of uh, 10 or 12 years. And, and, and you know, a big portion of that success was that compensation model where everyone won together. And so we thought that we were, we were ready to take that leap. So we, so we tried it with the sales team, worked really well, and then so we just did it with everybody. So what have you learned about yourself being a CEO? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> what have I learned about myself from being in this role? Uh, well, I, I've been in this role for five years. And I, I think I've learned what's really important to me in, in a company. And so I, I would describe myself as a, as a, as a values-based leader um, that really believes in, in vision and culture. And so those are, those are kind of the, the important things to me. Uh, so over, over the last five years, we've really honed in on what is the vision of this company and what is our big goal? And what do we want to be known for and how are we going towards that every day? Uh, we really took a lot of time to really clearly articulate our core values, and which is, that's just the rules by how we live and work around here. And those are on pretty much every wall throughout the building. Yeah, and, and, then, and then really spending a lot of time building a, building a good culture, or, or what we think is a good culture. And, and that's one, you know, a culture, there's, there's accountability, there's challenge, there's, there's, there's winning and, and wanting to achieve great results. But there's also, uh, behind all that, there's a company and a management team that really cares about the people uh, as, as individuals and as, and as real people and whoever they are, whether they're parents or brothers or friends um, and, and just caring about them and showing them that they care about them, uh, not just as employees, but as, but, but as people who we want to make sure have a really great life. And I, and, and I think linking all those things together, the, the vision and the values and the, and the culture uh, just really makes for a neat work environment. And so if I was ever to do it all over again, I would do that again. So what triggered that to be the core thing you strive for every day? like to, to have the vision, the culture, was there like a switch or was it just like, this just feels me? Yeah, I don't think there was a, I don't think there was a big switch or anything. It's, it's, it's always something that I felt that was, that was important. And, but you know, there were, there were years when you just, yeah, it sounds silly to say we didn't have time to focus on vision, but we kind of didn't have time to focus on vision. The company was growing fast and we were just, it was like, you know, building the airplane as we were flying it, so to speak. And, uh, but once we were, once the airplane was built and it was flying, we could really think about where we were flying and why we were flying there. So how do you stay driven as a CEO to always, you know, you're the head of the company, you're the face, you're the guy that has to, when people look at you go, yeah, you're still loving it. Like, how do you stay that driven? For, for me, it's, I, I think it's around the, it's, it's around that purpose and the vision and building something really great. I think we, you know, there's, there's 145 people that work here, and that's 145 families that uh, that depend on those people. 
And, you know, I, I don't take that responsibility lightly. I think that's, uh, it, there, there's a lot of people that depend on this company. Uh, we have a lot of customers that really depend on us to deliver like exceptional equipment and exceptional service. And if we don't, like big facilities of critical infrastructure in this province go down mm -hmm. and like hospitals can go down and whole gas plants can go down if we don't do what we're supposed to do. So, uh, so we take that pretty serious. And so, so I, I think, yeah, being part of a company that, that is driving a lot of the, the industry backbone in this province is, is something that, that pumps me up. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and just having a, a neat culture and, 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 a whole, and a whole company that really cares about our customers and has really cool products, that's, uh, it makes it pretty fun. So how do you keep developing new products and what, what's that process like? Is it like we see a need in the industry or you get feedback from someone? How do you get that direction? Tundra's business is uh, we're, we're a distributor and integrator and servicer of products. So most of the time we're actually selling other people's products. Right, okay. yep. And so uh, what we try to do uh, is add as much value in the middle as possible. I think it, in our in kind of the industrial distribution space, the days of picking up the phone and saying, what's the part number? Oh, you don't know the part number? Call me back when you have the part number. Right? Like, th those days are over. You have to really be a, a solution provider and in every one of our businesses i think we just i think we add a ton of value not not just being able to help the customer figure out what it is that they need but actual real value whether that be we'll do some programming on a on, on a certain piece of instrumentation or we'll be putting a bunch of pieces of equipment together to create something that's a little bit more useful for the client or having a full service team that will make sure these things are installed perfectly and and that they're running really great and maintaining them uh, so we, we really try to add that value. Um, and I think that's the, the innovative kind of new product where, where we'll take a, a widget from one of our factories and make it into something really useful for our customer. Uh, so we've talked a lot about your business, but I'd like to really get your opinion on the Calgary market in, in general. And we touched on it earlier, but what do you think people are doing wrong? What do they need to change? Like, is there, a, is there some... Thing that you're seeing that you're you're flourishing, you know, relatively well, and it's like some people are suffering. And what 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 are your thoughts? I think we're at a very interesting time in Calgary's history right now, and I it's odd to say, but I'm probably more bullish and excited about the future of Calgary and Alberta than I've ever been before. Uh, I've, I've been living here for 13 years, and and there, there's a bunch of reasons why I think that. Uh, I do think that that our oil and gas industry is due for um, pro uh, what I think will be another boom cycle. I hope it's not as crazy as it once was, where where you know where the salaries are just absolutely through the roof. It's just not sustainable. Um, so, but but I but I do want it to get a lot better than it is, and I and I think it will. Um, I think specifically. Once this pandemic ends, which I think will be a little bit faster, maybe than 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 some people think, yep. uh, that you know, there's going to be a lot of airplanes in the air and people doing things, and that and that just automatically creates more demand for fossil fuels, which is which is like it or not, that's that's what we produce here um, in Alberta. So so I so I think prices will go up, and once prices will go up, that will allow oil companies who have been beaten pretty badly, it'll give them the freedom to actually start. Uh, growing again, and, and even in some cases maintaining again. There's been 
real lack of maintenance of a lot of um, equipment uh, in, in, in the Alberta oil field. And once that starts to happen, all of a sudden, all the service companies get going to work and more equipment's being shipped and trucking companies are required to ship that equipment. And, it's, and then once all that's happening, then the hotels are busy again and the restaurants are busy again and everyone's busy again. And so I think, I think we're on the, right on the edge of another pretty good oil and gas boom. Um, and, uh, and I do think that there's a lot of fundamentals around gas specifically that that could be a boom for another 10 or 20 years. Um, there is, there's a big move towards renewables, which I think is great. And, uh, but behind the scenes for a lot of those renewable projects, you need a natural gas plant as the backup, which is, that's, that's the way that it has to be. And uh, working from home, I think that will always be somewhat of a thing uh, for some people. And that requires more natural gas usage because you're heating your house when you're not there. <clears throat> the insatiable want for data and anything, whether, it, whether it's Bitcoin or just more data for anything that we're doing in our world uh, requires just a ton more electricity. And in this province and in many areas in the world, that's natural gas is the, the cheapest form of that. So that's going to continue. And then there's a bunch, of, there's like 10 other themes <laughs> around that. That, are, that I think will really drive natural gas up. So I think there we're in a good spot. Also, there's been, uh, you know, Calgary and all of Alberta have been working so hard to try to rebrand Calgary as something uh, different than just an oil and gas center. And I feel like that's really gaining some steam. Uh, you know, Calgary Economic Development and groups like that have just done a great job. Even, even recently, they've recruited a couple uh, tech companies to come into town and there, there's been a few big wins with, hey, there's going to be 500 jobs here from this one and that one, but there's also been a ton of little wins. You know, these 10 people are moving here and these 10 people are moving here and these 10 people are moving here. And, um, and, and when, you, when, you, when you create 10 high-tech jobs, that's, that's meaningful. And so, I, so I, think, I think Calgary is in a really, really good spot, even though a lot of people don't think it is. I, I think it really is. I think that the... the, the Energy industry is going to be really good for the next little while, but plus we've spent all this time and effort on other things, and I think all of those are starting to pay off too. So I think we're, I think we're in a good spot. Well, you say the groundwork's there. Like I'm excited that the film industry is starting to take Calgary more seriously. That's one. Um, all these sorts of infrastructure are going in place to just diversify in times of hardship, and then when you know inevitable increases happen, COVID releases everything, and like you say, the world turns back on again, it's very much all this stuff, supporting stuff, just gets utilised as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic as well. I think that's a good mentality to have, and yeah, when you're always beaten down and beating everyone down about it, it's, it gets a bit, oh, come on, it can't be that bad. So, And I don't think it is. So, uh, what's next for Tundra then? Like, what, what, where do you see going? Is it just kind of figuring out the acquisition more and where you sit and working with that relationship like yeah what, what's next for tundra i think it's it's f figuring out how we fit into the wajax company uh wajax is a pretty big company so there are about 2700 employees across the country and i think there's a lot of cool opportunities for us to sell our products into all these other geographies and for for tundra to bring in some wajax products and start melding a little bit more at the same time we're we're still remaining uh tundra and having our own identity but really figuring out where is all that low-hanging fruit, and how can we diversify our business using our using the mothership here that we that we now have? So, 
that's really my plan is, uh, is, is continuing to do that and continuing to do all the things that we did before, continuing to have a, a great culture and continue to lead with those vision and values and making sure that our people still believe that. And, and it's probably now more important than ever. Um, we're only a couple months into this transaction and I, I promised all of our people that, hey, like really not a lot's going to change. A couple little things are going to change. We're part of a public company now. So, you know, there's probably a code of conduct that you have to sign annually, whereas before we, we didn't do that. So you're going to have to do that, but it's all the same rules that we abide by anyway. So there's going to be little changes, but that ultimately we're still Tundra. And uh, I think most people believe me, but, but I think that's just probably from a lot of years of building up trust and me saying, hey, you really got to trust me on this one. And, but, but now I have to keep proving it all the time that, that, hey, we actually are staying the same and we actually are staying our own company, uh, but we're getting the benefits of this big company. So uh, almost having to work harder at the culture things and harder at the vision and values things just to make sure that people still believe it because for every, uh, for every acquisition transaction that goes right, like this one has, I think there's a lot that really, that really don't. And almost every acquirer, I think, goes into a transaction saying, oh yeah, we love you guys. We, we love everything that you do. Uh, we love all your people. We want to keep everybody. Uh, but some of them don't necessarily keep their word on that and come in and say, we, when we say we love everybody, we say we actually love the top 80% and we need you to fire for 20%. And by we say, oh, we love everything that you do. We do, except we're getting rid of your brand and we're changing all your processes. And, uh, and that's, that's not the case here. But I know that many of our people have been through one of those bad ones. And so as soon as they heard acquisition, a lot of people got scared, which I totally get. And I had, I had been part of the transaction for six months, so I was no longer scared because I'd, I'd got to know these folks. But I know when we, when we dropped the news on our people, they were, they were rightfully scared. And, um, and so I, we asked that they just put, our, put their faith in us again and, and that we'll lead them through this and, and that it'll be okay. And so far, everything's great. So I think, I think everyone's starting to come around and realize, oh, maybe... Maybe we are just going to keep staying as Tundra and doing what we're doing, which which is the plan. That's good because yeah, acquisitions can be painful, and once you've been scarred, it is hard. But it sounds like you're great at balancing and managing it. It just takes time to just reinforce, reassure, and just take yep. take note of people's feelings. So it's been fantastic to talk to you, Iggy. Um, yeah, thanks, Dan. This was great. How do people find you online? Best is it LinkedIn website? LinkedIn is the easiest one. Yep, I'm I'm pretty easy to find on there. Cool. Well, it's been great to have you. Uh, so if you want to find out more about Tundra, uh, please check out the link in the description below um, or above, depending on what this video is doing. Um, and I will see you next time. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>